day and what a powerful worship. Yemi, thank you so much for this uh, powerful reminder that God is worthy of our praise because he created everything uh, to that end that we should give him praise. Uh, having said that, let me say good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on which part of the world you are joining us from to this uh, Zoom meeting uh, today. Um, yeah, we do have people joining from different parts of the world to be part of a monthly webinar. We deeply appreciate your joining us. I know many more people are going to join, but I welcome you to uh, today's webinar. And thank you for making out the time and the effort to participate in this. Uh, it is my prayer, earnest prayer that the Lord uh, will uh, bless your being here. It's not going to be a time spent without uh, receiving from the Lord. And having said this, I'm going to begin us uh, or start this meeting by a word of prayer. So if you would, can you join me as I lead us in prayer before uh, we continue? Okay, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. Unto you alone shall the gathering of your people be. We are gathered here through the means of technology, of course, but our gathering is unto you. Please lead us by your spirit. Help us not to be distracted or to trivialize our meeting because it's via technology. As many of us are getting used to this gift uh, to our world. So spirit of the Lord, speak to our hearts, guide our conversation, open our hearts to understand, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, and to hear clearly. Bless your servant whom you prepared that would lead us in the conversation today. And uh, at the end, we promise to return all the glory to you because you would have blessed us richly. This is our prayer with thanksgiving in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So again, welcome uh, to start us this afternoon. I would like to introduce uh, a Vice President for Africa Initiative, Strategic Initiative, Dan Kramer, who is going to introduce our speaker for today. Trust me, Dan would as, as well introduce the subject as he key in the speaker. So, uh, my name is Ishaya Inwa. I'm the re, uh, editor for Africa Region, our deliberate ministries. I will be coordinating this program today. Later on, Yemi will, will, will play his part. But having said this, uh, uh, Brother Dan, um, I hand over to you to say whatever the Lord lays in your heart as he introduces the speaker to us for this uh, webinar. Thank you and God's blessings. Mm. Thank you, Ashaya. It's, uh, thank you for the prayer as well. And welcome, everyone. Uh, it's a privilege to be here and take part in this. And it's also a privilege to introduce the speaker today. Before the speaker, um, the topic is checking our obedience 
this webinar this year is really a collection of topics that represent what is happening in Africa. And in my mind, from an outsider view, it's not hard to see. Um, as a North American, I come to Africa very often. And what I see as a rising church, and a church that is leading, and a church that is becoming central to God's mission around the world. And so with that, the topics actually express the reasons why. And obedience is one of those core reasons why. I can't think of a better speaker uh, than who we have today. I could introduce her very formal. And in some cases, I would do that in front of a public audience um, in, in cultural norms. Uh, but I want to introduce you to how I met her. Um, I met Folashadi in just the way that she gave her name. She could have come with titles. She could have come with uh, background. She could have come with experiences. But I met her very subtly at a training years ago. And that's how she introduced herself, just by her name. And, and quietly just offered herself up to serve. And I had no idea who this person was in front of me. Um, but I did, I did get a glimpse of that in this short two-day seminar. Um, I, I didn't even know what to make of it. But then she showed up again at another training. And as soon as I saw her expressing who she was in her education, when I had the opportunity to say, who do I want to work with going forward? I actually called her name out and said, uh, this is one of the people that should be selected going forward. And that has grown into a relationship over time where I have seen her in facilitation of events uh, to train people. I have seen her as a student, which was a privilege and hard to believe. I have seen her as a teacher. I have seen her as a friend. I have seen her as a spouse. I have seen her as a servant. I have also seen her as a leader and a passionate person who has a heart for the most needy people that are out there. Most importantly, I've seen her as a Christian and someone who is bold and can stand up and can carry all those traits well with high dignity. And so it is really a privilege to have you here and speak. Um, but especially on this topic, because in all those roles that I just listed, you can't do them well without being obedient to the situations. So thank you for who you are and what you're going to represent today and how you're going to share it with us. So please uh, take over and give us uh, the word that God has put on your heart. Thank you very much, Dan, for your kind words as to get to do the introduction. I want to again welcome every one of us to this webinar. I believe that the Lord is here to bless us. And I'm sure that as we interact together today, the Lord will indeed speak to our hearts and we encourage us to a lifetime of obedience in Jesus' name. Uh, as Dan had mentioned and as has been announced today, our focus for the webinar is on checking our obedience, checking our obedience. And I'm trusting that the Lord himself will speak to us as we gather and that we shall together be blessed by him in Jesus' name. Now, thinking of this, one of the first things that comes to my mind is a song that we sing in our children's department, talking of obedience. And don't, don't mind me, I will just sing like we do it as if we are in the children's church. We sing, obedience is... The very best way 
to show that you believe. Doing exactly as the Lord commands, doing it happily. Action is the key, do it immediately. Joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. O B E D I E N C. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. And that's how we sing it in the children's department. But you know, reflecting on that, honestly, I can say that again and again, this really expresses what I think and what I feel about obedience. I believe that obedience is that way we show we believe. And that's why today, as we go on, we shall be reflecting um, on this issue of obedience as we all decide to check our obedience. As we go on today, I want us to intermittently pause and do some checks. I want us to intermittently look inward, look at our lives and see how obedient have we actually been. Please give me a moment. I'm trying to get to sort something out with our slides. All right. Yami, I seem to have lost the Zoom page. Could you please help us with that? Uh is the uh, presentation still open on your desktop? Okay, let's just continue without the slide. I think we can just get around it. Dan, if you can share from your hand, you can please share. I can't seem to open, and we have tried that hard earlier, but I seem to have some difficulty with that now. Okay, like I have said with our song, we can see the content of the song points attention to the fact that when we decide to do exactly as the Lord commands, not just doing as the Lord commands, but also doing it happily, we are already setting ourselves on the path of obedience, on the path of showing that, yes, we believe. So as we go on today, thank you, Dan. I can see you sharing already. As we go on today, what we want to do is to look particularly at four basic things. One, I would like for us to reflect on the concept of obedience. What exactly is obedience? And now does this affect us as individuals, individual believers? We also want to check what our motivation for obedience is. And then we go ahead and consider the different challenges that we may have on the path of obedience before we highlight what the blessings that attend the life of obedience can be like. What is obedience? I know that wanting to go by the word definition, maybe that's the teacher in me just talking, may seem like, oh, we already know what obedience is. But some things caught my attention when reflecting on that word again. I realized that when we talk of obedience, it is primarily an attitude of the heart. 
if our heart is not right, to really claim obedience may not be absolute, may not be total. And so I consider obedience as an attitude of the heart, which involves compliance to order, submission to authority, willingness to do as told. You remember in that song I just took now, it says, doing exactly as the Lord commands and doing it happily. So that willingness to do as told and that yieldedness to God's, to God's will is actually what we call obedience. And so as we go on today, I want us to pause and check. The first thing I want us to check as we continue in the light of this concept of obedience is how attentive and compliance or compliance are mine to divine instruction. When God gives divine instructions, when he gives divine injunctions, do I catch it? That's the attentive part. Even when I have caught it, even when I seem to have understood that, oh, this is what God is saying. How compliant am I to that? You know, there are times that we get to know, oh, this is what God will have me do, but we are reluctant. There are times that we know, we know beyond every reasonable doubt that this is what God will have us do, yet we really are a little tardy. We are unwilling to continue. So as we pause to check at this point, I want you to reflect on your own life. And I believe that today God is speaking to our individual lives. So it's not a matter of trying to see how this message affects this brother or that sister over there. It is first of all, but how does this affect me? So when I look at my life, how attentive am I? How compliant am I when it comes to divine injunction? That's the first check I want us to make. And in the same breath, I want us to also consider to what extent do you submit to God as the supreme authority over you? One thing about obedience is when we think obedience, we think authority. Obedience presupposes that there's somebody of a higher authority that is issuing order, issuing instruction to someone who is below that person. So it will take me to acknowledge the supremacy of the person issuing order for me to be able to obey. So the next question I want us to ask as we check our obedience this afternoon or this morning, depending on which time of the day you are in your own area, is to what extent do I submit to God as a supreme authority over my life? Because it's a question of authority. It's a question of believing that, okay, God who is asking for me to do this has what it takes. He has the local standing. He has the felicity condition. He has the authority to really issue this command to me. And so on the flip side of it, what I'm saying is whenever we disobey God, it is like we put a question on the authority of God over our life. Yes, we may not intend it so, but that is ultimately the inference. Again, as we look at our life of obedience, the next question I want for us to, hang, to ask ourselves and to answer is how often do you readily, willingly do what God will have you do? How often are you readily willing to do what God will have you do? 
Sometimes we do what God will have us do, not because we are willing. As we go to motivational, we talk about some other things that influence us. But sometimes because our hands are tied. Sometimes because we are, we are knocked to a corner already. Sometimes just because there's no other alternative for us. If we really have an alternative, if we really would have our way, we wouldn't be willing to do so. So the question is, how often are you readily willing to do what God asks you to do? And on the final note, on this note of check, the next question I left for us to check as we look at our own lives is, to what degree am I yielded to God's will? There is a popular uh, minister in Nigeria called Nature and Family, taking this song, Lord, let me want what you want, oh my dear Lord. And I feel that a life of obedience is that life that is yielded to God to that point that we are singing like the NHA family, eh? oh Lord, take me to the place. Oh Lord, take me to the place where I have no will that is separate from your will. Oh Lord, take me to the place where I have no path that is separate from your path to belong to you. It's my desire. Can we all come to that point? When we get to this point of yieldedness, this point of yielding to God's will, that we are saying, God, I want my will to be lost in yours. And that is when we can say our obedience is getting to the mark. And you remember what the Bible says, there are some kind of disobedience that even we cannot check until our own obedience is complete. So we've started looking at the concept of obedience. We have seen the things that are tied to it, primarily the fact that obedience is about um, authority, the authority of God. And we're using all of these questions to check our own life of obedience to see how we are going with God. Next, I'd like for us to look at what can be our possible motivation. What motivates your own obedience? Like I said, I don't want us to look at this person there, that person there. And as I look at the scriptures, I see different things that can motivate people's obedience. Broadly speaking, I want to put them as two, but I want to talk of them as four, as we find on this slide. One thing, one of the things that can motivate our obedience is the fear of consequences. You know, the other time I did mention that sometimes we get to obey God, not because we are willing to obey, but because we are not to a corner. Sometimes the reason we obey, our motivation for obedience is fear of the consequences. Oh, if I don't do this, it may end up this way. And if you look at that passage in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 11, as has been cited on the slide there, you see that practically, if you are not careful, you want to reduce your life of obedience to a life of compliance just because of fear. From verse 26 to 28 of Deuteronomy 11, the Bible says, see, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God, I'm giving you today. The curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. And sometimes it is for the fear of the curse because I don't want to be cursed. I don't want to, to run a blogger head with God. That's why we want to obey. That sounds good. But will I say that's the best? I don't think so. 
Sometimes our obedience also can be motivated by love. Our obedience can be motivated by love. And I will say when obedience is motivated by love, you will find loyalty, you will find trust there. I will talk about that shortly. Now, I believe that we can do better than work on obedience that is motivated by faith. We really can do better. Because when we operate at the level of fear-motivated obedience, that kind of obedience may be half-hearted. It's not really because I've, I've heard sometimes young people say, ah, oh, I wouldn't have married that brother if not that God says so. And the question I asked myself is, do you really think you are doing God a favor? When we work with the fear of, ah, if I don't do this, God may, I'm not saying that the consequences will not be there, but I'm saying that we shouldn't just obey God because of the fear of the consequences. We should do better so that obedience can move away from being affected, from being non-nasty and superficial to becoming solid. And a new way will I propose, if I'm saying we can do better, is because I believe that if we go this other path, then we can do better. And let's look at what the Bible says in John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, from verse 9 to 10, Jesus was there talking to uh, the disciples. And Jesus said to them, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. I think we need to underscore that verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept the commands, my, my father's commands, and remain in his love. Which presupposes that a marker that will remain in God's love is actually our life of obedience, is actually the fact that we keep his commands. If we want to flip it, it implies that when we don't keep his command, we do not remain in his love. And I like how the Bible, how Jesus concludes that in verse 14. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command. This is what I call love-motivated obedience. If I will obey God because I love God so much, I don't want to look down his authority. If I obey God because I feel that, oh, again, I will see the fact that children, children will think, Jesus is my best friend, my best friend, my best friend. If I see Jesus as my dear friend that I don't want to hurt, I see God as my father that I love so much, my father that I don't want to uh, downplay his authority, and my obedience to God is then born out of that love for God, then I think that's better than just cringing in fear to obey. And again, we can see that obedience that is motivated by love, based on this text we just looked at, based on John 15 that we just looked at, we can see that obedience that is motivated by love is based on a consideration for the deep love of the Father. I'm thinking of the fact that the Father loves me. And because the Father loves me, I won't want to trample on his love for me. That should motivate my, my obedience to him. It is also a matter of a reflection of my own affection for the father who lost me so much. First, I'm looking at, oh, my father lost me so much. 
And because I value this love, because I consider this deep love he has for me, then I must obey him. Again, love, obedience that is motivated by love, that is driven by love, is a reflection of my own affection for the father. First, I was looking at his love for me, and now I'm looking at my love to him. How do I express my love to him? How do I show the Lord that I love him? Jesus said we are his friends if we do what he commands. And so to show my love to the Father, I respond in obedience. Obedience that is motivated by love is equally an expression of our loyalty to God. If we are indeed loyal to God, we shall see some passages now, that kind of expression of loyalty. And each time I think about this, Mary readily comes to mind. Look at that lady. Mary was saying, as we see in um, Luke chapter 1, verse 38, I am the lost servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. In James version, we say, be it unto me according to your word. And I was thinking about it as a lady myself. Today, we may be venerating Mary, and it seems like that lady is honorable, she should be venerated, she should be celebrated, but we don't think of what our obedience and submission to God's will did cost her at the time she was going through it. We may not know how much sacrifice had gone into that. A demonstration of willingness and yielding to God's will, for me, is top-notch. I'm thinking of that and having a lot of ladies around being preparing for weddings and all that. I can imagine maybe Mary already had an event planner for her wedding. Maybe she's already thinking of if she's in Nigeria, she's possibly thinking of, okay, um, we are going to have an introduction on so-so date. We are going to have the engagement ceremony this way. Oh, this is how the church service will look like. And then we are going to do the deception this way. Oh, this is the attire I'm wearing for this. Maybe she was already dreaming of all of those things. And suddenly, one angel from nowhere came. And the angel is saying, practically what the angel was telling her was that she was going to be pregnant out of wedlock. Yet, as ridiculous as that sounds, this lady was yielding to God. He, she was willing to let go of everything, all of the glamour of um, a wedding, all of the glamour of the 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 events around the wedding she yielded all of those i believe that that was an expression of her loyalty to the master she said i am the lord's servants that's showing loyalty to the master acknowledging the lordship of god over her life and i can practically say this lady had signed up for a sold out life that i'm sold out to god let it be unto me as he has planned. That's loyalty, which is why it said, obedience that is motivated by love is an expression of our loyalty to God. Again, obedience that is motivated by love is also a sign of trust. A friend of mine will say that our life cannot be mad in God's side, and I agree with the person. That is um, an expression of trust, that I trust God, that my life cannot be spot, my life cannot be mad in his hand. And that's an example I found in Peter. You know, Peter was a professional fisherman. He's been doing great with his fishing um, profession. But on this particular day, he had toyed all night. He had labored all night. He knew the right time to do the fishing. He knew his onions. He knew how else 
our best to go about it. But everything he knew how to do failed on this particular day. And then Jesus showed up. And after Jesus was done using his boat, Jesus was asking, launch into the day. I can imagine a thousand and one thoughts that will have been passing through the mind of Peter as a professional. Must I be calculating? No, this is not the right time to fish. No, this is not the right uh, disposition to it. No, that shouldn't be the right place to put it. A thousand and one voices must have been standing on his mind. And that was why he initially was going to guide Jesus back, quote and unquote, to the logic that, excuse me, sir, we have walked that all night and we haven't caught anything. But like the fact that his comments on the destruction of Jesus did not end at that note. He continued by saying, but, and you know, as a student of language and a teacher of language, I know that when you see the but conjunction, the contrasted conjunction, but there's going to be a turn of events. Peter was saying, I have worked at all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the net. As simple as that is, that is an expression of trust. There were conflicting voices in his head. It wasn't logical for him to do what Jesus was asking him to do. But he trusted that, oh, it is Jesus that said it, then I can trust him. The question is, do you also trust God with your life? That thing that God is asking you to do and you are reluctant to do it, is it because you don't trust him enough? And you feel that, oh, from the calculations you have made, it doesn't seem like this is going to work well. Another very good example of such absolute trust in God, which is evidence in his level of obedience, is Father Abraham. Looking at that text, you want to query, was Father Abraham telling lies at some point? Well, I would say no. He was actually expressing his faith. And let's read this together. The Bible says sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded this donkey. I was wondering, was this man all right? For a father, not just a father, but one who had waited for so long and has finally just got a child in his old age. And God was even acknowledging that this was his only son. God even spelt it out for him that you love him so much. And then God is saying, go sacrifice him as a burnt offering for me. And the Bible says, early the next morning, Abraham got up loaded his donkey. Let's put ourselves in Abraham's shoes. I believe that if I heard a voice like that, maybe I want to say, oh, this must be the devil talking. I know the way God speaks. This cannot be good. Maybe. But he was clear about it and he was in absolute trust that if God is the one asking, I know that my life cannot be mad in his end. And so early the next morning, he loaded his donkey and then he took his son with him. The Bible says he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had crossed the road for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, 
And I was wondering, as I was studying for those studies, for those readings, was it not reflecting? Could it have been a change of mind for him? But this was a man who was living in absolute trust. He had signed up for a life of obedience. And I believe that today, God is expecting many more to sign up for a life of obedience. That come what may, in season and out of season, I'm signing up for a life of obedience. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Take note of that point that is highlighted. God had told him, go and sacrifice your son. But Abraham was saying to the servants, we will worship and then we will come back to you. That was faith speaking. And that faith is born out of this trust in God. He had trusted that. I know my life cannot be mad in God's end. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, here's my son. Abraham replied, The fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. I don't know for how long he had been turning this in his head. He was just reflecting, hey, God is asking me to do this. How would this be? But he had come to that resolute, a point of resolution that we will go together to worship God and we will come back together. He had come to that point of resolution that if God is asking me to sacrifice his son, I'm taking this son to him. I know that God will provide how this is going to happen. That is a life of trust. So I can see that Abraham's obedience was deeply rooted in his trust for God. Let's pause and check. As we check our obedience this afternoon, I want you to ask and answer, what exactly motivates your own obedience? What motivates your obedience? Is it love, loyalty, or tr and trust? Or is it just fear? Do you just obey God because you cringe at the thought of what the consequences of disobedience will be? Or do you go all out to obey God because you love God so much and you know that this God loves you so much and so you pledge your loyalty to him and you trust that your life cannot be mad in his hand? This is the second point of check as you check our obedience this afternoon. What is motivating your obedience? Quickly, let's go and look at um, the challenges of obedience. Like it had been mentioned at the point of introducing the webinar, obedience is a reflection of our relationship with God. But the truth of it is, it doesn't come easy. It doesn't. It doesn't. There are some challenges that we encounter when we want to engage in a life of obedience. And for our Thoughts this afternoon for this Bible study this afternoon, I have decided to look at the first experience of obedience in Genesis. That point when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. I want us to study that text together. I want us to look at or pull out from there some of the challenges to the obedience of Adam and Eve as we find in Genesis chapter 3. 
The Bible says from verse one, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the white animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruits from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. From this Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to 6, I want us to take note of some challenges of obedience. The first I see from the account in verses 1 to 4 is the fact that our obedience can be challenged by conflicting voices, sometimes by the voice of logic. You know, God has said something to them. God had given that order. God had given that instruction. But there was a second voice. After God's own voice that they have heard, giving them instruction on how to conduct conduct themselves in the garden, the serpent came and the serpent spoke. This is how it plays out for us. God is leading you to do something. You are very clear and very certain this is what God is saying. But then other voices come. How do we experience conflicting voices today? It can even be through people that we venerate, people that we celebrate, people that we so much respect, voices of people around us. It can be our own inner voice. It can be our own inner voice. Perhaps God is saying, oh, I want us to um, leave what we are doing and go ahead and go for this mission assignment. And then you begin to calculate, oh, is this reasonable? If I leave my job now, I'm on so, so pain now. Uh, my family size is this large. I have just responsibilities. I have this and that person to cater for. If I should leave my job now, I would like cater for this and cater for that. And all of those voices are there, just roving in our head. And before we know it, we begin to look at the logic of it. Oh, no, this couldn't be God. Uh, yes, I understand it's actually God. But if it's God, God will not mind. Uh, this is what I will do. God knows that I cannot leave my job to go on that mission trip now. Uh, or to leave my job and become a full-time uh, minister now. Maybe what I need to do is give more money to mission. I'm not saying God cannot ask us to give more money to mission. But what I'm saying is, are you sure that is what God is demanding of you now? Or it's just your own way of escape? That's the big question we need to answer. Sometimes the challenge of obedience for us is the quest for wisdom. If you look at that passage that we read, the devil painted it very well for the woman. In verse 5, the Bible says, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And I imagine the woman, ah, so I've been blind all this while. What does it really look like if my eye is open? What, you know, that quest for wisdom, that quest for power. Hey, you mean I'll be like God? That means I will also be able to issue authority, uh, uh, instructions, issue command like God did. That quest for 
for, for freedom and quest for power is another problem I've had. And today, we see the same. Sometimes we feel that when God is placing demand on our life, we feel like our freedom is limited. Oh, we feel like we, we don't really have control over our life. It's that like God has this absolute control over our life. And sometimes it, oh, let me actually take my life in my hands and be able to do what I want with my life. So sometimes quest for freedom, quest for power can inhibit our obedience. Desire for pleasure is another thing I find in that passage. And as it was in the beginning, so is it now. A lot of times the challenge that our obedience is confronted with is our desire for pleasure. The Bible says in verse six that when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the heart, when she eats, that's pleasure. It's going to satisfy the body. Just beholding it alone is satisfying the heart. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. She did all of this consideration and a desire for pleasure made her giving to disobedience at the expense of obedience. Is that not what you are going through now? The last time the Lord gave you a nudge that, oh, you need to fast. Was it not because you cannot do without satisfying your body with good food that you disobeyed? As simple as that may be. Just as simple as that may be. Desire for pleasure. And we can also see pressure. Pressure. And I can boldly say that to date, pressure is a major challenge to our obedience. Pressure. You want to do the will of God, but that which you want to do, you do not want, your body does not want to cooperate. Sometimes it's not just something within, it is actually also something from without. You want to really follow God all the way, but there are people around you, mounting pressure around you and making it seem like it's practically impossible for you to do this. And that's what we see in the latter part of that verse six. If I ask me, how did Adam get into disobedience? I would say it was a matter of pressure. I'm a woman. I can imagine that day I said Adam returned home. The lady brought the apple to her or whatever the fruit was on a good platter. And said, oh, my darling husband, I want to take a bite of this. And the man is possibly thinking, forgive me. I'm just imagining. And I want you to imagine with me. And maybe the man was thinking, ah. Where did you get this food for, from? Does it not look like that one God said we should not touch or we should not eat? Uh, does it not? And the lady said, ah, after I can say I'm taking a bite. If you love me, you will eat it. Is it that you don't? I'm just imagining. I'm just imagining. And I can imagine the kind of pressure that came with what the Bible simply said that there, that she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Like the devil mounted subtle pressure on him, Eve also must have mounted pressure on her husband. And both of them fell for that. A good example also is what we find in the account of Moses in Numbers chapter 20. Each time I look at that text is a big challenge to me. Is a text that makes me pray again and again that God have mercy on me, may I not offend you. And I would say that for me, my conclusion about the experience in Numbers 20 is that partial obedience is equal to 
total disobedience. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 20, from verse 8, that was God talking to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together. Dan, can you please change the slide to the next slide? Thank you. Take the staff and you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes, and I will pour out its and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. And listen to what happens in verse 9. The Bible says, So Moses took the staff. I would say that was obedience. Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. Is that not obedience? I think so. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and livestock drank. On the final analysis, the people drank. But you and I know that this is the beginning of the trouble for Moses. This was something that eventually landed Moses in a trouble that he couldn't help that he couldn't get to the land that the Lord had promised. And on the next slide, I had presented it side by side for us to assess the obedience of Moses. And I'm again reiterating the fact that partial obedience is equal to total disobedience. Let's see God's instruction on one hand and then Moses' actions on the other. On the Head of God's instruction to Moses, God said he should take the staff. And in response to that, Moses did take the staff. God said Moses and his brother Aaron should gather the assembly together. In response to that, he did gather the assembly together. Look at the next one. God said Moses should speak to that rock before the eyes of the people, and it will pour out its water. But what did Moses do? Moses spoke to the people. God asked him to speak to the rock. He ended up speaking to the people. And instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock. As a teacher, I was trying to look at this. What will I say his percentage of obedience was? If I'm looking at the three items we have here, maybe he had some 70 something percent obedience, maybe 76 percent obedience, because there were three specific instructions and he actually did two. It was only the last one he failed. And if we would judge from his action, he had actually performed four actions and two of them are in line. Maybe we'll say 50 percent. Honestly, as a teacher, I can still say that is the pass mark. But by God's reckoning, it wasn't past mark. But with God, the obedience has to be total. So if it is partial obedience, it is total disobedience. If you have somebody in the room with you, help me turn to the person beside you or somebody in the room with you and say partial obedience is total disobedience. Rather than speak to the rock, he spoke to the people. Rather than speak to the rock, he struck the rock. And that was how it got done for 
what is it that God has been talking to you about? How are you actually dealing with that? And that's our next point of check. Can we pause now and reflect on our own life? We have seen how different people had handled their life of obedience, concluding with the fact that Moses was actually going to be said to have a pass mark, but he misses at the last moment. Regarding those things God is asking you to do, can you really say you can clearly identify God's instruction to you? To what extent do you, do you, do you recognize God's instruction? And even if you can claim that you know what God is saying to you at the moment, you know what God is saying to you currently, do you find it difficult? And may I say, if you find it difficult, why? Why do you find it difficult to do what God is asking of you? Are you also indulging in a life of selective obedience? You obey when it's nice. You know, I really, we can't. I don't want to appear like you're blaming Moses, and I really don't want to blame Moses. I'm just imagining. See pressure, is with pressure. I imagine all the bad, bad mouthing the, the followers had done to him, and can imagine the pressure he was under as a leader. And I can imagine, I can imagine that he was actually looking for an opportunity to vent his anger, that let me allow these people know for once that they are messing up, that they are not doing right. And what God was asking him to do will not allow him ventilate his anger, will not allow him ventilate exactly how he feels about what these people was doing or were doing. And so he decided to do how he wanted to do. And that was the trouble. Are you also indulging in selective obedience? That's a food for thought. That's something we need to check as we check our life of obedience today. But you know, not only is God placing a demand on our life for obedience, there are blessings attached to it. And when we keep a high on the blessing, I think we can be better motivated, we can be better encouraged to continue to live a life of obedience. I'll just pick a few examples in the scriptures to illustrate some of these blessings of a life of obedience. One example is the example of Noah. What God was asking Noah to do is something that nobody had done before. How would God say, go and be the hack? Nobody else had, there was no sample. There was no precedence. Yet this man believed God and he obeyed God. He built the hack according to pattern. And you know, it was difficult for even the people around him to believe him. How would he say that will be flawed, that we destroyed the whole world? It had never happened before. But that man, as illogical as what he was doing was, because it was God that said it, he stuck to it, and that led to lasting covenant with him. Each time as we look up and see the rainbow today, we get to remember no one. God made a lasting covenant with that man. Or do we want to look at the life of Abraham? And we see how God met his expectation. We just read about how he was saying God will provide. And did God provide or not? You know, this was a man that God called out of his familiar terrain, out of his comfort zone. And God was sending him to a man, into a land he did not even know. And in obedience, he followed God. Did God meet his expectations or not? He did. So, met expectations are another blessing of a life of obedience. Unstoppable promotion is another one I see as illustrated by the life of Daniel. There were forces militating against him, 
then I shouldn't even have such a prestigious um, status in a foreign land, in a land, let me say, in the land of his captivity. But this was a man who was resolute, who resolved not to disobey God because it was not in a familiar terrain. He didn't want to disobey God. We can make excuses for him. Oh, no, this boy was just a young man. Oh, can't you see he was captured uh, to, to the land of slavery? Oh, he doesn't really have the community support that he should have. Uh, no synagogue to worship in. Nobody to teach him the Torah. We can make plenty of excuses for him. But that's why the father he was there. He stood by what he believed. He chose a life of obedience. Do you realize reading Daniel 1? that all of them that were brought mm -hmm. into the Babylonian school, I like to call it the King's College of Babylon. All of them, that were, they were from the same royal family. All of them had the same kind of training that they must, must have had. But some of them just said, well, we are in a strange land. God understands. But in the middle of that kind of discomfort, they next decided to obey God. And that was what led to his unstoppable promotion. Even when efforts were made to stop him, he was unstoppable. It's part of the blessings of a life of obedience. And I see unprecedented breakthrough. Who could have imagined that a virgin can carry a baby in a womb? That defies biology, defies all of the sciences we can explain. But, you know, that became an unprecedented breakthrough for Mary. She believed when it was difficult to believe. She obeyed when it was difficult to obey. She was willing and yielded, like we had said earlier. And that's now, there's no how you talk of Jesus, you talk of Christianity, you talk of the salvation of mankind. Now we don't get to talk about the story of Mary. For me, it's an unprecedented breakthrough. There had never been such a record. And that is also part of the blessings of a life of obedience. And I can talk about divine satisfaction too. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19, that if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. That I call divine satisfaction. When we are yielded to God in obedience, we can be sure that God will go out of his way to satisfy us with everything necessary according to his will. So brethren, today, in checking our life of obedience, and looking at those four things we have looked at, looking at the concept of obedience itself, the motivation for obedience, uh, the different uh, challenges of obedience and the blessings. I want to ask course mm -hmm. as a close that God is demanding, God is expecting that we acknowledge his authority over our lives. Because it is when we acknowledge his authority, we are perpetually reminded that God has what it takes to issue the order in the first place. And we don't have the right not to comply. Oh yes, if we want to say we have the right, but we can choose, let me put it that way, to comply always because we acknowledge God's authority over our lives. And I want to also challenge us to get motivated towards a level of obedience that is born out of love, loyalty, and trust in God and resolve to overcome whatever challenge that may come on your way as you seek to live a life of obedience, as we anticipate the blessings attending a life of obedience. I believe that the Lord has spoken to us today, challenging our hearts to sign up 
for a lifetime of walking in obedience with the Lord. Thank you very much. The Lord bless you. Wow, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, that was really reflective and freeing. And what I specifically mean is um, for me with the passage about Moses, uh, the pressured obedience is a very freeing portion of what you just talked about. And it, it is often something that we cannot see um, is very subtle coming in. But my favorite part of this was uh, the obedience in love uh, is that it is a reflection of affirmation uh, to the God who loves us so much. And let us all hope and pray that we can receive that blessing alone. Uh, for our lives. There are many things that we can reflect on in here. Thank you for the PowerPoint as well. I'm glad we were able to put it uh, because there is a lot in there. And those three checks are something that I know we could go back to over time. So thank you so much for, for your presentation and your clear, clear preparation. Uh, we're gonna move to a question and answer time and uh, have a little session where you can respond to people. Thank you again. All right, thank All right. you everybody. Thank you, Dan, and thank you everybody. I can see some questions there already. Uh, okay, um, let, let me take the questions. Okay. All right, my name, is, my name is Yemi, and I'm the digital coordinator for the region, and I'll be handling this section. So uh, if you want to ask your questions verbally, you can click on the raise hand icon, and I will meet you to speak. And if you want to drop it in the Q&A, you can do so as well. And I will read it out for the speaker to provide response to you. Okay, we'll be starting off with a question from Jerry Akishola. And Jerry is asking that, what step can we take when the policies of the government is challenging or threatening our obedience? All right, thank you very much, Dr. Jara Kishola. I'm glad to have you on board. The Lord bless you, sir. Now, there are times that we have government uh, policies threatening our life of obedience. And are we also, this, as I'm going to produce, I must say to all of us, it's also a lesson I learned from Dr. Jara Kishola himself. That's an irony. He had taught me over time to assess what is part and what is whole. Sometimes in playing out or in living a life of obedience, we have the total um, responsibility. There are times that our responsibility is just a fraction. We depend on some other persons of higher authority. And you know, part of our obedience to God is the fact that we should respect the government, we should respect those who are constituted authorities over us. So in my obedience to God's injunction that I should respect the consistent authority, I will obey the government. But if what the government is asking me to do is conflicting with the will of God, of course, I stick with the will of God. But if I have the room for delineating what is part and what is whole, I do my part. And then I leave the whole for those who have higher responsibility. Honestly, God will not ask of me what I do not have control over. That's my belief. I think that um, answers your question, sir. Thank you very much. 
Um, I have another question from Adela Bikule. And Adela is asking that, can one say God knew Moses bottled up anger and vengeance against Israelites at the time he needed to test how he would manage that emotion? But Moses eventually failed. All right, Dr. Ibikule, good to have you here. Can one say God knew Moses bottled up anger? The question is even what is it that God does not know? I believe that God knows that and much more about the Moses experience. But in this particular case, and what I was trying to illustrate with the story of Moses, it's not just um, about his anger issues. Yes, his anger issues uh, is a valid one, but it's not just about his anger issues, it's actually about his trust issues. Does he trust God to fight on his behalf? Does he trust God to possibly correct these followers of his on his behalf? Or does he want to take charge? And when we live in obedience, there are times that we just have to leave things in God's hand, allow God to resolve it the way God wants to resolve it, rather than take things into our hand. But if I will answer your question, sir, does God know? Yes, God knew. But it is more about does Moses trust God enough to fight for him, to make the point he wants to make, and not to take laws into his hands and make the point by himself? I think that would be my, my response to that. Okay. Thank you, Ma. Yeah, um, I have some hands raised up here as well. Amos um, Odori. You can unmute your mic to ask your question. Do we still have Imos Oduori there? Okay. Um, Bami, your injury. You can unmute your mic. To ask a question. Okay, let me take another question from here then. Uh, this one is coming from Bernard Aceto. And Bernard is asking, okay, saying thank you for your presentation. It was very enlightening. Could we align God's purpose and the plan? for us and our level and our level of obedience total or partial to our work with Christ as regards our faith and trust and believe in God as to develop a testimony that will encourage anyone who has a challenge similar to one that we could be going through. Okay. Could we align God's purpose and plan for us and our level of obedience? I would say we should align our plan to God's purpose. I don't know if you understand the flip I'm making. I wouldn't say we should align God's purpose to our home plan. It should be that we are adjusting our plan, our purpose to God's purpose. That's what I would say. And that has an implication. The implication is that no matter how lofty and how beautiful I think my plans are, I know that I can always lay this at the feet of the cross and let God's will 
subsume and supersede what my intention is. Uh, I'm trying to understand the later part of it. Could we align God's purpose and plan for us and our level of obedience, total or partial, to our work with Christ as regards our faith and trust and believe in God as we develop a testimony? Yes, really, it's as we grow in Christ. I believe that as we grow in Christ, our capacity for obedience also gets increased. And I believe that to whom much is given, much is expected. Once we get to that height, when God knows that he had punished us with so much, really, he may not hold us responsible for what he knows we don't have the capacity for. Well, that's my belief. And a good way I see that is, again, in the case of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. You remember when Moses married that foreigner? Miriam and Aaron had issues with Moses. And each time I look at that text, I ask myself, how come when God will discipline them? It was only Miriam that had to stay at the end, at the, outside the tents for the number of days she stayed. God punished the two of them. God disciplined the two of them for rising up against Moses. But it was only Miriam. So I believe that uh, too much is given, much is expected. So again, the, the measure of our work with God also tells on our capacity for obedience. It's like even in the home, when you have a toddler, there are things that you wouldn't pick up the toddler, or you wouldn't pick up on the toddler for, for disobeying because of the age. But as our children grow older, we want to scold them, ah, you are no more a child. Don't you know you should have outgrown this? Same way, I think as we grow in the Lord, our capacity for obedience should increase. We shouldn't remain as babes as children that we were. Thank you, Matt. Uh, there's also a follow-up question from the same person, and he's asking that could we link our disobedience to our inability to listen with clarity to the voice and instructions from the Lord? I would say there are two things there. One thing is the ability to hear God clearly. Another thing is that we have heard God clearly, but we are not yielding to what God is asking us to do. So I wouldn't really say that if we don't hear clearly, you know, there are times that we are not certain. And I'm also a sticker to the fact that until I'm sure of what God is saying, I want to ask and ask and ask and be sure because I don't want to act in presumption. But when you have now asked God, when you have had enough clarity about what God is saying, but for some other reasons, you decide not to follow what God is saying, that is what I will call blatant disobedience. If it's about seeking clarity, I think it's a different thing. And I'm sure that God will not mind giving us the understanding that we require. But if you now have all of the understanding and you persistently choose to ignore what God has said, that is when it becomes a problem of disobedience. Thank you, Ma. Um, let me come back to this side. Emmanuel Akwai, you can unmute your mic and ask a question. Hello. Hello. Yeah, we can hear you. Hello. Do you hear me? Yes, yeah. we can hear you clearly. Yeah, my, my contribution is to the answer that doctor uh, gave earlier as to hidden 
or responding to government instructions and their policies. And that I wish to refer to what Peter said in Acts when they were confronted by the elders, so-called elders, uh, to stop preaching Christ. And he yeah. told them definitely, as Dr. said, without fear or favor, if whatever command the elders give is in conflict with what God wants, then they will do that or they will follow God's command, despite the consequences and the fear and everything. So the Bible states clearly almost and give answers to almost all our challenges and our fears and what we should do. The fact is because, as doctor said, because of pleasure, because of that of the eye, that of the heart, and we want to follow our flesh, that gives the answer. To me, the Bible is my GPS and even the v VPS that have been added. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much, sir. Adewale Olusoji Ogumbeko, you can meet your mic and ask a question. Okay, good. Um, thank you very much for the very encouraging discussions we've had today. And um, my heart was pricked by some of the um, fathers of faith that we were mentioned uh, during the discussion. Of course, there was um, the case of Adam and Eve. And um, I, I asked myself, did God institute submission between husband and wife at the beginning of the age? Because when we look through the pages of our Bible, especially all through the Old Testament. I mean, some wives were stronger than the other and imposed themselves on their husbands. And um, except the very wild ones. But recently I noticed that um, this issue of submission, actually, I, I may be wrong, but I may, and I would like to be corrected on it, that the issue of submission between husband and wife I first came up in Ephesians 5. I don't know if there were some other passages in the Old Testament that strictly gives instruction to us as to how a husband and wife must interact. And uh, that's number one. Number two, I, I raised the issue on Abraham and Sarah and the need of the power of positive encounter to God. And I'm basing my discussion on um, the reaction of Adam and perhaps why when God sent him to sacrifice his only begotten son, he has learned from his lesson. For example, in, in, the, in, in the book of Genesis chapter, chapter 16, uh, verse 15, we read that Hagar born Abraham a son, and he named him Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old at the time. And almost immediately after Genesis 17, 1, 
when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm the almighty God. Now, 86 years and 99 years. In between them, we have a span of 13 years where there was no revelation with Abraham. And I think Abraham, considering his mission, which God gave to him, go to that land. For example, Abraham did not tell God when he was going to Egypt because of the farming that he, had, he saw in Canaan. And it was this same, uh, this, the, the, this, this same uh, problem that got him to go to, uh, to Egypt. And while they were coming back, he came back with Hagar. And of course, after some time, Sarah could not be guarded son. And he encouraged the husband to go in into the, into, in, in, into, into the concubine, uh, Hagar. And from there, we knew what happened. And Ishmael became the firstborn, even not the child of promise. Now, from what we have seen, it was the wife that caused this problem. And this is why I, 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 I raised my, this issue of having a power of positive encounter. Because subsequently, when God told Abraham to sacrifice, I'm not so sure he even mentioned it to the wife, to Sarah, that I'm going to sacrifice. God says, I should go and sacrifice our only begotten son. But he, as at that time, after those 13 years of no communication, Abraham has learned his lesson to trust God for what God is able to do. And that's why he was unshakable, whether a lab was the, was, will be provided or not. And um, of course, he took the son there. And even when the son queried him, we cannot see anything. But the father was convinced that the Lord God that I'm serving will always be there to make a provision for us. And um, you see, in, in our Christian journey, we all get to a point where we need to actually take God for his word. Yes, it's, 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 it, we can call ourselves Christians. We can say, oh, we fast 24, uh, three days a week or 20, 100 days um, during the fasting. But a time has come when we have that total submission for the things of God and have that power of a positive encounter to act on God's advice and instructions. Thank you very much, man. All right, I think it's more contribution than question, so we may move on. Okay. Yeah. Family um, or Anjori, if you are there, you can omit your mic and ask a question. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Lloyd. That is a very great uh, uh, instructions based on the scriptures. I'm very glad about that. Um, my question is simple. We know the written word of God the Bible, and we 
tend to quickly obey that. But what do we do when it is a written word? I mean, instructions of God that is dropped in our hearts, or we hear God speak to us audibly. How do we quickly pick that? How do we do that? I know we need to to consider is this scriptural based? Yes, it is, and we know it's clear. Doctor, can you please help and outline how can we quickly obey that? We know the scriptures, we quick, we quickly obey that. Don't do this, we don't do it. But when these words are dropping out, just like an example you gave of somebody who is to go to a mission field, maybe not, uh, maybe not foreign mission now, where you get the dollars or whatever, but local missions in remote villages. Thank you. That's my question. All right. Thank you, Mr. Pamela and Johnny. Let me just be sure I heard you right. I think your concern is, yes, when we have instructions written out in the scriptures, in the Bible, that's plain black and white. We can see that this is what God is saying to us. What happens when these are not inscriptions in the Bible? When these are things that God speaks directly to us? Is that what you're asking about? Yes, and we, we know it is scripturally based. According to the word of God, we are clear about that. You know, if, if it is not scripturally based, we may say, no, I won't do this. But we know it is based on the scriptures, but not just written. It's not the one we read, but it's what is dropping our heart, or we hear God speak to us or the believe. Okay, let me just attempt to answer what I heard. Actually, the problem I have is the the voice is slowing here, so I couldn't really pick appropriately. It's slowing. Now, if God has spoken to us. And this is not something that is written clearly in the scriptures. How do I go about obedience to this instruction of God that is not what is written in the scriptures? The first check, like I think I heard you mention, is to check, is this in line with the word of God? There is no how God will ask you to do something. There is no how you receive revelations from God through other means that those revelations will now contradict the written word of God. So this thing you feel God is asking you to do, is it consistent with the scriptures? That's the first check we need to make. For instance, now, I wouldn't see how a child of God will say, God is leading me to um, take a second wife, or God is leading me to, you know, there are things that are not consistent with the written word of God. So if this thing God has spoken to you is what is in the scriptures, that's the first check you need to make. Another check you need to make is to trace. Always as the way God works with us in a sequence. There are things God, there are dealings of God in your life over time and you want to trace, okay, this new thing God is saying to me, how does this fit into what I'm doing? For instance, God is exposing me to some things recently. And I've been asking myself, I've shared with a few friends, I think I mentioned that to Dan too. The question I'm asking myself is, 
Why is God exposing me to this? What does God want to do in my life for which he's exposing me to this? That's because I'm trying to track. This is a track God has been taking me through. Now he has taken me to this point, to this junction. What could God possibly be saying? And I hope that we also know that the fundamental thing to first of all sort out is acknowledging and understanding how God speaks to us. If you know that God speaks to us through the Bible, which is a final authority, the word of God that is written, God can also speak to us through other means, in visions, in um, audible voices, and even through circumstances. But all of this must be subjected to the word of God. And it's as we trace this and they are consistent with the word of God that we can go for it and be sure that definitely this is what God is saying to me and I want to move out in obedience. And I will also want to add that there's also a place of counsel. For a multitude of counsel, there is safety. When God is saying or God is asking you to do a thing that you are not very clear about, as we run it through these other checkpoints, you also may want to run it through counseling point. Though in doing that, we need to be sure that the voices we hear in counseling are not going to be conflicting voices to us. And let me at this point mention, uh, as a follow-up to what Brother Adewale mentioned earlier, that if you are a married person, I believe that if both you and your spouse are children of God, checking with your wife, Checking with your husband is one of the ways you can confirm what God is saying to you, what is the will of God. I, I remember I mentioned something about I wasn't sure whether Abraham consulted or mentioned to Sarah that he was going to sacrifice Isaac. I believe that as contemporary believers, if you both are believers, the fact that God has spoken to me as a person, one of the things I constantly wait for is to run it by my husband and to wait for him until he's convinced also. And this we have done as a couple over the years. When God has spoken to him, he wants to run it by me. This is what God is saying to me. Go pray about it. What is, what is God also saying to you? So that as our hearts are united in what we perceive God is saying to us, we can both forge ahead and know that this is what God is leading us to do. I believe that God has placed a spouse by you to help you also reinforce uh, your knowledge of his mind, of his will regarding his instructions. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ma. Uh, our time is fast spent, so, so we might not be able to take the review to probably compile those questions together and send them to you to help us provide answers to them. Then you can send it out as everybody to benefit from the responses. All right. Okay. Thank That's you so fine. much, man. All right. Thank you so much, man. Okay. So I want to go back to the host now to take over. Well, uh, thank you, Yemi, and thank you, everyone, for being here and uh, uh, giving your time to be part of this webinar. Doctor, thank you very much for uh, the bringing these words in a very simplified manner obedience is very very important and critical i'm going to quickly call on someone to add his voice before we round up but i feel strongly to say this uh, to make these three comments before we begin to wrap up one 
is that God's word, whether it is primary um, objective word of God, which is the Bible written, when it comes to us, what we do with it is we obey. And whether it is subjective word of God as word of God coming to us through his spirit, what we do is we obey. Um, where it contradicts, where what we hear contradicts what is written, we know that God has not spoken. We need to let, throw it aside. And then my, my second comment is, yes, Abraham did not tell Sarah he was going to sacrifice Isaac, but that was not prescribed. It's a historical reality. We shouldn't build a doctrine out of it to say now Abraham have learned, therefore don't discuss certain things with your wife. No, the principle of marriage is the two shall become one. There is unity in marriage, and which means there is disclosure, there is communication. And as believers in Jesus Christ who have the Holy Spirit, we need to come to the realization of the fact that we communicate. So let's not build a doctrine out of historical reality. And again, scripture interprets scripture. There is no any other mention of that kind of experience that we can build upon. Yemi, are you hearing me? Yes, clearly. Okay. And then um, the last thing on submission, I want to say quickly that submission is mutual. In that efficient passage where the Bible says, husband, love your wives, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Three verses later, the Bible says, submit yourselves one to another in the reverence of the Lord. Submission in marriage is mutual. Yes, there is leadership. By God's design, man is the head of the home, even as Christ is the head of the church. But when it comes to submission in marriage, we submit to one another. This is what God prescribed to his uh, church. And um, trust me, I know our doctor is going to respond in written form to many of these questions, and we can add a, a bit from our daily bread ministries I share with all the participants here. Having said this, I am happy to introduce our Vice President Africa, Dr. Eloy, who uh, has been here to add your voice um, uh, before we call on John. Once you finish, sir, um, John will take over from there and say the closing prayer. And with that, we are done. God's blessings and thank you everyone for being here. Dan, thank you for bringing Dr. She, it couldn't have been better. Yeah, so thank you. I think you won my heart today uh, for bringing Dr. I think we need to bring her again, again and again on our webinar. Thank you very much. God's blessings. Thank you very much, uh, our able brother Ishaya Nango de Sose, Alabarkacheku. Uh, uh, to Dr. Fola Shade, I will say, Eshe Ganima, you did a good job. Thank, thank you. you very, thank very, you. very much. And to my brother here. Dan, we say thank you, uh, <clears throat> you know, for uh, helping us to have a platform as this, to just come together and to rub our minds, but also bringing somebody, I will say, from outside. I'm not saying that Dr. Fulashade is from outside. No, but again, you know, seeing from a different angle than we that are day, daily, you know, it's, it's bring a new thing and help us to think out of the box 
And I want to thank God for the conclusion of my brother Isaiah, you know, uh, bringing back to the, to the heart, obedience is all about love, trust, and confidence. If I don't trust you <laughs> and you tell me, sit down here, wait for me, you are wasting your time. You will never find me there, you know. But if that is settled, then obedience becomes very easy. To the contrary, like our facilitator has really uh, 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 helped us, uh, you know, understand. Half truth is a whole lie. So half obedience is a total disobedience. And it's worse, like the Bible says, to witchcraft, you know, and sorcerer. So again, as a Christian, uh, we are called to this. And I want to uh, not preach again, but to really thank everybody that have, you know, uh, joined and those that have raised questions. Some may have been addressed, like doctor was saying, some because of the line was cutting. Myself, I was also struggling to understand or to grasp uh, uh, some of these questions, but she has been up to the task. And I want to say thank you to all of our offices, Nigeria, Kenya, and, and South Africa, but also people that have joined us from all over the world. Thank you, even as we look forward to have you next month, uh, next topic, I'm pretty sure that Dan will bring again another seasoned uh, man or woman of God that will be able to help address the issue that we will be raising. To my brother Yemi, I want to say thank you. As usual, you know, he does a wonderful job on the back of the scene. Uh, let's just keep up this good thing. God bless you all. And back to you, my brother Ishai. So at this point, I will call on our brother from South Africa, John Anandle, to uh, say the closing prayer for us. John, you're welcome. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our sister who's faithfully shared from your word. And we just pray that you would speak into the hearts of the audience today that each one of us would take that message and begin to apply it to our own lives as we want to honor you and lord as we want to draw close to you in our relationship as we want to fellowship with you lord we realize that you require obedience from us and so lord we just pray, pray that you'd plant that seed in our hearts and that we might grow from there and become the people you want us to be thank you for all those that have participated today um lord we just grant we, we just ask that you would grant them peace and a clarity in their direction with you we ask that in your special name amen amen thank you so much john thank you everyone i think with this we have come to the end of our webinar so do enjoy the rest of your day and the rest of the day so until we meet again uh, next month, uh, trusting that you would make it a date with us and invite someone to come along. God's blessings to you all. Thank you.